0: From WHQR Public Media, this is The Newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman. thanks for joining us. Coming up later on today's show, we'll be sitting down with two members of Braver Angels. It's an organization dedicated to bringing liberals and conservatives back to the table for earnest civil conversation about topics they probably aren't going to agree on. But first, it's time for a little civic education. This is because the 2023 municipal elections are just around the corner and WHQR will be holding public forums with candidates for Wilmington City Council. And at the same time, we're running our community agenda program. This is a way to reach Wilmington voters to find out what they want the election to be about, what questions they want the candidates to answer, and what issues they want front and center during the campaign. But not everything people are concerned about is actually something the city of Wilmington can tackle. That's why my colleague Kelly Kinoyer sat down with Margaret Haynes. She's the mayor pro tem, of the Wilmington city council. She's a Democrat, but she's not running for re-election, So she seemed like a good person to sit down and give us an unfettered, unbiased view of what the city really does. All right, Kelly, tell us a little bit about this conversation.
1: Well, I'm in the process of doing the community agenda for WHQR, which means we're engaging with people across the entire community, asking them what they want city council candidates to focus on as they compete for votes in this upcoming election. And we've gotten a lot of really great responses. I wanted to run some of them by her. And I also thought it would be worthwhile to do a little bit of voter education and say, we know that a lot of folks are concerned about some of these issues, but not all of them are things that city council can handle. For example, they don't control every road in the city, they control some of the roads, but some of the major arterials like college, they don't have control over. That's NCDOT. They also don't have control over the education budget. So I wanted to bring the top concerns we've heard about from voters to Margaret Haynes and ask her uh, what exactly she and other members of council can influence when it comes to those concerns.
0: All right. Well, let's hear your conversation.
1: Can you tell me what the purpose of
2: a city council is? Sure. It's a very important part of American government, and that we don't live in a sheer democracy. We live in representative government, which is a republic, and so people elect people of like mind to represent them in legislating.
1: And are there term limits? How long are terms on city council here in Wilmington?
2: The term itself is four years, the mayor's term is two years, so he is elected every two years. Um, The council members, the other six members, those are four-year terms and they alternate. They're three people up every four years so that there is continuity um, throughout the the time. Gotcha. Okay.
1: What are some of the common things that you are approached with as concerns from the community that are not in your jurisdiction?
2: Oh, goodness. Um, (laughs) The school board that definitely is not ours. Um, That it comes under two things. It comes under the elected school board members, but they are also funded by the county commissioners. The county commission itself is simply an extension of state government. So state government basically tells them what they need to do. And so IN ANY LOCALITY, COUNTY GOVERNMENTS REALLY ONLY DECIDE ABOUT 15% OF THEIR BUDGET, OTHERWISE THEY'RE TOLD THEY DO um, HEALTH CARE, THE SCHOOLS, all, ALL KINDS OF THINGS LIKE THAT. SO um, that THE SCHOOLS ARE A BIG THING THAT WE HEAR ABOUT, um, BUT I WOULD SAY um, PEOPLE GENERALLY, there's, WE HAVE AUTHORITIES. WE HAVE THE AIRPORT AUTHORITY. We don't hear much about that. We have Wave transit is an authority and um, CFPUA, water and sewer is an authority. And that just simply means that they've been established as a different kind of more of a private entity. And the elected officials do not control that.
1: I'm gonna kind of big picture this or you know, give people a sense who've never looked at a city council meeting. What are some of the major things that you vote on Um, in a given council meeting or in a given year. I know that there's budget cycles as well. So if you want to start with an average meeting and then some of the big ticket items that come up every year.
2: An average meeting, there is probably no real average meeting, but in a sort of regular course of business, a lot of what we vote on are planning issues development issues, and what is is difficult to understand sometimes is that people have property rights, and they often can build something by right, which means they don't have to get permission from anybody. That's how it's zoned, so they, they are free to do that. But if you want to do something that's you, on your property that you own, and it's not in the list of things that you can do by right, then you have to come before the planning commission, you have to come, then they make a recommendation, then you have to come before city council. So that is a big thing. Uh, Another thing we do, uh, which has been on our agenda quite a bit lately, is working with derelict properties and trying to um, preserve neighborhoods and make sure that we don't have squatters and we have derelict properties that become a public nuisance. So we have a wonderful guy, Brian Renner, who is in code enforcement, and he has really been very effective in trying to work with citizens, finding heirs of property, and, and doing that sort of thing to try to save as much as we can, but oftentimes, it, it's not possible. So th- those are the two really big things uh, that we do. We uh, vote on these appointments to different boards and commissions. There is an appointments committee that meets monthly, and they make recommendations for uh, vac- to fill vacancies that are coming up. And then the council itself votes on that. And then um, in a given year. And then in a given year, starting in January, the budget cycle begins. And municipalities have, in North Carolina have to have a balanced budget. The city manager gives out some budget instructions to all of the staff, to the, the manager's department heads. And then they, in turn, come back with their request, uh, whether it's to hold the line or to say what they absolutely what their needs are versus what their wants are. Um, and so it's always a balancing act to really project what your income is going to be based on property values, that's the way we raise money, and then based on the wants and needs to maintain and improve local government. So that's a process that goes on for months and it has to be done and voted on by the end of of June because the new budget starts July 1.
1: And that's where you decide how much money goes into WAVE, for example, or into the police department as well as every other department of the city government.
2: That's correct.
1: So we've done the survey for a while now for the community agenda, and so I have a list of like the top 10 things, and I'm just going to go through a few of them with you um, and kind of ask you what authority City Council has over each of these issues. So the number one issue, which is probably not surprising, is development. So what are the what authority does city council have when it comes to voting on any given development? Say a new apartment may be going up in someone's neighborhood?
2: Yes. Now personally I think we have too many apartments. But oftentimes the property owner or the prospective owner has the right to go ahead and build that. And it let me explain how they got that right. Several years ago, we developed a new comprehensive plan and in doing that we it wasn't up to us it was up to the citizens and we had 18 neighborhood meetings and people could go to any or all of them I went to a number of them and uh, there were maps and suggestions and that comprehensive plan was drawn specifically from what the citizens asked for And the idea, the sort of overarching idea of that, which is going to address another one of your items, is to tried to have sections of town you were able to meet your needs there and not have to drive across town say from forest hills over to mayfair to go work out they were called nodes and so they would be like little business nodes where you could get coffee or ice cream or get your nails done or get your hair cut or whatever and so that's then you they would draw circles around that the effort would be to try to get that kind of thing built there to reduce traffic so every developer, every every property owner looks at the comprehensive plan, and it's it's a little overwhelming when you first look at it. It's quite a large document, um, and it was done in house, which is amazing. And that then shows you what the citizens have said they want to see in the future in those specific areas. They want it to remain residential. The the overarching outcome really was do what you must on the main streets but leave our neighborhoods alone that 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 really is the bottom line of the whole thing that's
1: interesting um i did a lot of the reporting on the comprehensive plan as it was coming up interviewed glenn harbeck about some of the plans that he had the nodes um for example, they have one around the hospital. Downtown is its own node. They've got these different segments of the community where they want it to be kind of a 15-minute neighborhood where you can just go Correct. to a grocery store, um, which works better if there are sidewalks, for example, if you don't want a lot of traffic. But um, doesn't work necessarily if you don't have the infrastructure in place. Um, you were kind of referencing the infrastructure question, I think. And one of the things that I've heard a lot of concerns about through this survey is traffic on those main roads. Having apartments that let out directly onto the main roads, like Independence Boulevard or uh, College or any of those other locations, folks are worried about traffic on the roads and they're worried about infrastructure in terms of the roads. So I, I guess the question there is, what power does City Council have over infrastructure with regard to these specific developments?
2: It depends on where they are. And while the land may very well, will certainly be within the city limits and under the purview of the city's rules and comprehensive plan, it depends on what street it's on because the city basically owns neighborhood streets. The state owns all of your major streets that you look around, Shipyard, College, uh, Part of Independence, Oleander, Wrightsville, I mean, so all of those streets, the state owns, but when it comes to neighborhood streets and accepting those streets in a new development, then that's up to the city. So talking about things that citizens ask us for that we have no control over, we can ask the state to try to make a street safer or to try to put um, crosswalks or to do something like that. But generally, it's under the state's purview and only only theirs. Now, that said, when they, uh, the state improved and widened Car Avenue, the city paid to have bike lanes put in, lighting put in, and sidewalks put in. So we're trying to accommodate that. And the Cross City Trail is a good example of trying to get people, you know, to use other alternative means, whether it's riding a bike or, or walking or what.
1: I know NCDOT has a very limited budget because of... A lot of reasons but ncdot is limited in what it can do in terms of um making those improvements and sometimes they set the priorities not the city it's interesting that you bring up the cross city trail ncdot isn't allowed to fund some of those projects so the city has to step in and i know that the wilmington metropolitan planning organization plays a role with that so there's a lot of different moving parts but i i guess i'm curious um do you feel like the city council has a good measure of control over those improvements, especially pedestrian and cyclist improvements?
2: Where we can, we we certainly do. Um, and and Car Avenue is a good example of that. You know, we could have just let the state build that, have no sidewalks, no bike lane, and no lighting. But it's also heavily traveled because it's so close to the college and it's a connector really between two sides of town. It's always difficult. There, there's no doubt about it. I will say that the city got financial assistance in completing or working on the Cross City Trail through the grant process. Blue Cross Blue Shield gave us a, um, some money. Other organizations were awarded grants that could be used for that.
0: You're listening to my colleague Kelly Kenoyer's interview with Wilmington Mayor Pro Tem Margaret Haynes, and they're talking about what city council can and cannot do. It's a very useful distinction as we head into the 2023 municipal elections. We'll have more of that interview in just a moment. You're listening to The Newsroom, stay with us. Welcome back to The Newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman. Thanks for being with us. We've been listening to Kelly Connoyer's interview with Wilmington Mayor Pro Tem Margaret Haynes. They're talking about what the city can actually do and what it can't do. And that's an important thing to wrap your head around as we head into this year's municipal elections. Now here's the second half of that interview.
1: Another thing in terms of infrastructure that comes up a lot stormwater and other water uh do you want to speak to city council's role with those issues sure
2: um we have a stormwater department and i always say one of our most wonderful uh, exciting and illustrative maps is the stormwater map that shows all of the projects that have been accomplished and it's just amazing uh where we any new development has to control stormwater. They cannot allow any more water to come off of that land than already does, and and the preference, of course, is to control any water um, coming coming off of any any land. But um, so that department figures out through engineering and so forth what needs doing the reason there's some areas of town where we've had to do very large projects uh, like the clear run project which is huge is because it was annexed into the city and this while the city has stormwater the county the unincorporated area outside of the city limits does not it's just a free-for-all so when the city used to be able to annex and take in an area, then it did not have a stormwater system. So then you have to get that on your budgeting process, and it's going to be years, if not decades, before there's money to really do that.
1: I wanted to ask about affordable housing, because that is the second most common response that we got, concerns about housing affordability. There's a lot of different components of that. So I'll let you choose where to start. Where does city council have a role in affordable housing?
2: The city itself does not build affordable housing. The city has encouraged the building of affordable housing. And some of these apartment complexes are incorporating a certain amount of affordable housing. Now, it's really useful if you can get to 15 or 20% of the total number of units, but understanding from a business perspective that it has to pencil out. You, you, they can't give it away. So then there's the whole hierarchy of what's the median income. How is it going to be 80% of that? Is it going to be 50%? What is it going to be? And of course, we're not talking Section 8 housing. That's a federal government program. So we're talking about working people people that workforce housing. You know, affordable housing is just a big umbrella term that includes a lot of stuff, and it's really not well-defined often. But what the city works on uh, through nonprofits and through developers is workforce housing. Over the last five, six years, the city has encouraged, promoted uh, help to bring forward something like 8,000 units of, of affordable housing. So people say we aren't doing anything. We're doing a lot.
1: I will just, um, as an example, I know that Starway Apartments is a low-income housing tax credit project yes. that the city put in some gap financing for, as did the county, which helped that project pencil out. And it's aimed at people who make 60% of the area median I income. That's,
2: that's right. Now, that that is a that was something that the city was very involved in in enabling that to happen. It was gap. I think we we ended up putting in three, four, five million dollars in that project to provide that type of workforce housing.
1: Next up, homelessness. Pretty big issue. What does City Council do around homelessness?
2: It, it is really challenging um, because the Supreme Court has ruled that it is not against the law to be unsheltered, and therefore, on public property, um, someone can be unsheltered. And I live downtown in River Place, and it's all, you know, it's around us. It's, it's not rampant as people would have you believe that it is. One thing that has been extremely successful Uh, that the city has done is through Wilmington Downtown Inc, which the city gives quite a bit of money to, the county funds at a a lower level, but and they have a board, I actually serve uh, at the mayor's pleasure on their executive board, and they, through block by block, which hires the ambassadors that you see walking around and keeping the city. They give directions and they keep it clean and so forth and so on. Through that organization, block by block, they had a program of um, hiring a social worker. And the guy that came here is amazing, Jack Mars. He he is a wonderful guy. And he, over time, it takes a long time to build trust. And... Um, he has worked tirelessly with the homeless population, uh, not only downtown, but he's mainly downtown. Um, he, I believe the last report that I heard, he has, since he's been here, gotten 70 people into housing. That, that's huge, that, that's massive the city also heavily supported eden village which i'm a great believer in Um, i know that we actually built we gave the money to build one of the houses and then the city gave a quarter of a million dollars for the infrastructure uh, there which is is not a, a fancy thing you can't see it because it's all underground but this the city did promote that so that's the kind of thing that we do this program Uh, instituted by Block by Block through Wilmington Downtown Inc. That now, we're trying to uh, multiply that program. And the county is working with us, having us, of course, they're in charge of social services, having a social worker and a policeman try to do what Jack is doing downtown of trying to do that outside of the CBD. It's challenging. Because, as everybody knows, there are encampments uh, on private property, uh, which people can get them to move if it's on private property, but um, they just move from one place to another. And some people make that choice that that's, that's the lifestyle they want, so that's very difficult to deal with. But Jack, um, wow, he he is an amazing guy that takes a long time in building trust with people and then trying to figure out what it is they need and trying to meet those needs.
1: I know that uh, the region, especially the city has pretty limited shelter space, especially because the Salvation Army has closed in the last couple in the last year or so. Um, so does the city have any role in shelter space? Is that something that they could that the city could create more of?
2: That really is not a, a role of municipal government. Our role, though, in doing that is met through supporting nonprofits um, like Good Shepherd, but it's a good example, like Eden Village, and we, we put uh, tremendous resources into that where you have professionals that know what they're doing. I will say that the Salvation Army wanted to move, they wanted to, and so it's been a couple of years they've reduced their numbers and they were really only housing like one or two people there. And that has since been been raised. And the city buying that enables the Salvation Army then to try to move out off of MLK, where they want to have a, a larger campus, where they can meet more needs in the community.
1: You know, we've seen partisanship become a lot more common on the school board. And I'm curious whether you see, I know that for city council election, it's officially a nonpartisan election, but the parties do play a significant role. Do you see partisanship playing a
2: larger role in city council compared to when you started? Absolutely. What does that look like? It's not pretty. In the past, people would, an an issue would come up and people would lobby for their position and a vote would be taken. And if you lost, it might really hurt and you might be upset by it, but the next time you let it go, and you are a sort of a good loser, a good sport uh, about it, and you move on because there's so many other things that are happening um, that you 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 move on. And so recently, we're finding that that's simply not true. That people are not so willing to just move on. That um, they they. They don't want to move on to the next thing. And, and that's really sad because once you take the vote, I mean, I've served on a lot of boards and a lot of commissions. And once you take a vote, if, you, if it doesn't go your way, to me, your obligation as a member of that board is to support the decision that was made by the majority. And that does not always happen. Uh, now, and that's very sad because y- you should be collegial. You should be able—I mean, we don't all hang out together—but you should be collegial and and kind and respectful uh, to other people and and be truthful.
0: That was my colleague Kelly kinoyer speaking with Wilmington Mayor Pro Tem Margaret Haynes. Okay, now we need to take a quick break, but when we come back we'll be sitting down with two members of Braver Angels, an organization that's trying to make space for civil disagreement between liberals and conservatives. You're listening to The Newsroom, stay with us. Welcome back to The Newsroom. I'm Ben Shackman thanks for staying with us. It's not a secret that we're living through a period of intense political division. And we've all heard stories about coworkers, friends, families, and even parents driven apart by politics. Some of us have been through that ourselves. In 2016, Braver Angels, originally named Better Angels after the Abraham Lincoln quote, was founded as an attempt to repair some of these relationships. Braver Angels has a national presence, but a lot of the work they do, I'm told, is through local chapters they call alliances. A big part of that work are small-scale group meetings, a little bit like debate club mixed with mediation. I'll let our guests today explain that better and in more detail. But the basic idea, as I understand it, is to bring liberals and conservatives together to talk about a potentially divisive issue. But while they're doing that, they have mediators to help them move away from all of those rhetorical cheap shots that you've seen in your local comment section. You know, ad hominem attacks, straw man arguments, false dichotomies, and red herrings. Oh, and to remind people that they're talking to other people, their neighbors, or someone even closer. Now, I'm a journalist, so I'm supposed to be skeptical. And so when I heard about this, I had my doubts. After all, part of my job involves covering just how nasty the partisan rancor can get. Hell, even within parties, it gets pretty nasty sometimes. But I did try to keep my skepticism from rolling over into cynicism, and I met with a few local Braver Angels members and they seemed very committed to doing the work. And it really does seem like it's a lot of work to get past the kind of political divide we've been seeing. So I invited two of them on the show, Nancy Cunningham, a blue, and Eddie Jones, a red. They join us today to talk about what they've been up to. Nancy, Eddie, thank you so much for being here, and uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves.
3: I'm Nancy Cunningham, and um, I am originally from New York, but have been in Wilmington for over 20 years. And I'm a retired physician. So about two years ago, I heard about Braver Angels on NPR, this station, and it got me interested and intrigued because it talked about the problem of political polarization in America and um, how it is a real problem. And I thought, you know, if they're onto something, I I need to know more about it. So I checked into it. I believe in it. It works. And we decided to bring it to Wilmington.
4: Uh, My name is Eddie Jones. I also moved here about 20 years ago um, from New York. Um, I found out about Braver Angels from Nancy, um, who asked me to help out when I could and um, do some community service projects. And um, since I found out about it, I did some workshops and found out that it does work. Um, I lean a little to the the red side. Um, She leans a little bit to the blue side. But um, we've learned a lot from each other, I think over the past couple of months, and I'm really excited to keep it going.
0: So the goal here is kind of just an absolute return to basics of just civil civic discourse, talking about you know public policy issues without escalating to out-and-out trench warfare. How does that work?
3: So it's a great question, and I think everyone who hears about Braver Angels initially has a little bit of skepticism because they envision that if you bring People from the right and people from the left into one space—it's going to end up being all-out war and um, and shouting and yelling and maybe come to blows. But what Braver Angels has figured out—the secret is just bringing people who are conservative, people who are liberal, together to talk face to face. And we just set some ground rules initially about how we're going to be respectful. We're going to. Be able to say our views and our values and then listen to others do the same Um, and ask questions with curiosity, not with a kind of gotcha caught in a contradiction, um, but rather to really kind of understand what is this other's person's perspective and how did they get to believe what they believe. And it makes a very big difference um, in how we relate to each other. We don't always disagree. We don't always agree. Um, but we find that we can still have a civil conversation.
4: Yeah, I I would agree 100%. Um, I was one of those skeptics. I I didn't think it was gonna work at all. I I really went into the first couple of meetings thinking, you know, get my, you know, everything loaded to go and get ready for bear and this is gonna be, uh, you know, all out out brawl, but it, it, it turned out to be nice. Once you learn the rules, of of like engagement and engaging each other it's, it really becomes a civil conversation um which is something that we we need to see more of like I, I would be a big fan of getting this involved in politics and we'll probably talk about that in a little bit but um to see some of our politicians act the way that some of these braver angel meetings go would be a blessing for all of us and you know it's about community and i think this community has a little bit of everything you know we we have the richest of the rich the poorest of the poor Um, Pretty diverse, you know, so if we could figure out something here, you know, maybe it could uh, ripple out and and to see, you know, go to different places. Mm -hmm. And I would say a real
3: um, amazing thing that I've seen at every Braver Angels event that I've gone to is that people do find common ground. As they start talking to each other and, and listening, they realize that we have so much more that unites us than divides us, and the stereotypes just start to melt away. And people realize that, you know, I think social media and politicians would have us think that every American is to the extreme right or to the extreme left, but almost no one who comes to these meetings actually falls down party lines. And we find that we want a lot of the same things, and we can talk about how to get there together. I like what Eddie says sometimes about how we're all looking for the same things.
4: We do. You know, one of the the things when you ask people what they want, it's, you know, they, they have a different perspective of you know one side wants this the other side wants that and you know one of the things like you know I want clean water do you want clean water you know do you want good education for your kids yeah I want you know I want those things do you want a clean environment yeah I kind of live in the environment you know it's like it's all of us wanting very similar things you know do do we want our kids to go to a safe place um, when they are at school yeah you know I, I think we all want those things do we want less crime yeah do we want more jobs yeah want more high-paying jobs, we, yeah, we want to bring everybody you know, up. We want to make sure that this community is is taken care of. So when you, you get people that rally around that thought process, it, it ends up being, it ends up working,
0: mm-hmm. you know, so it's. So can you walk me through what an event for the Braver Angels Alliance here in, like, Wilmington, one of your regular events, what does it look like?
3: Yeah, so there are several ways that we are taking on bringing people together. So there are different types of events. Um, the first ones that we that you're probably thinking of are the ones that have been designed nationally to be Brave Angels workshops. And they can be either a workshop where a bunch of individuals come in and they can lean anyway politically. And they kind of just figure out how it is you talk to someone on the other side. Because nowadays it's such a problem that Most people are walking around afraid to say anything and can't even imagine having a conversation about politics with someone on the complete opposite side. So you kind of learn the skills, communication skills, to be able to do that, to open up those conversations. Um, And then the other type of national workshop that we bring, I find is uh, even more impactful, and it brings both conservatives and liberals together to actually interact either on a topic or just to share their views generally. Um, and those really, you, that's when you really see the magic happen.
0: So, these conversations have like a moderator or a referee?
4: Yes, yeah, they have a moderator. And, and we make sure that that goes in the, in the right direction. Nancy is taking her moderator uh, skills class right now, I believe. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty exciting time for us here in Wilmington. She's, she'll do a great job, I'm sure. Um, and it, it really is just somebody that tries to keep you on path, you know, to keep it structured, to make sure that you're going in the right direction so that it, it is a civil conversation, um, and, and you do abide by certain rules, and then when at the end of it, it, it comes out that you do have a lot of more common ground than, than you would think.
3: The trademark national workshop was the Red Blue Workshop, which was how this all began back in 2016. There were just three friends who figured out that the country was on the wrong path with all this division and they said, we've got to try something. So they got, I think it was eight to 10 Trump supporters and eight to 10 Clinton supporters into a room together over a weekend and just went through a bunch of respectful exercises, exchanging ideas. And now those people, some of them are lifelong friends. They um, realized just how much they had been made to think that we're so different, um, but came to realize that we won a, a lot of the same things.
0: One thing as a journalist that has always frustrated me would be sort of headlines, you know, so-and-so destroys someone else with one tweet. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that you can somehow win on social media. And as someone who, unfortunately, as part of my job, has to spend time in the comments section, this is far more unwinnable than any unwinnable war in America's Mm -hmm. history. Is part of the magic just getting people out of social media?
4: Yes. Uh, I think think that's a huge key, um, to be honest with you. I I think that is a big problem because it doesn't even have to be factual. Whoever's first seems to get the headline, right? So it doesn't have to be a true story that you read or something new or, you know, it's just if you're first, regardless if it's accurate or not, um, people remember it and they start talking about it. and, And you know, you get people typing back and forth, disagreeing, seems to put another ad up and another advertisement up and another advertisement up, and you're going back and forth as opposed to saying, you and I agree, nothing, you know, nothing more to talk about, um, let's move on, they only get one ad, <laughs> you know, so we we keep going back and forth, all of a sudden you're spending time on the same pages and going back and, you know, and it, it's just, that's for profit, you know, it's it's not for, for anything else but that, and that's, to, to, to me, it's very sad, and I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the, the social media stuff. What's your term for the
3: keyboard Keyboard warriors? tough guys. I said typewriter <laughs> tough guys
4: I from back that. in the day, but the keyboard tough guys, you know, it's very and, it, and that's another thing that's a good point. Like, it, it's really hard to sit there across from somebody as opposed to sit and looking at a screen. And, you know, you could type whatever you want, but when you're sitting across from somebody, you know, you have that, um, that bond of, of, like, I don't want to hurt this person's feelings. I don't want to, you know, make, I don't, I don't want to go that route. You know, it's a lot harder to... To insult somebody when you're in front of them, and and they and they don't, and it seems like even the, the the most aggressive people that I've seen, you know, on Facebook when you see them or something else or whatever it is, and and you and you get involved them, in, you get them in person, they're like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, how you doing? You're like totally different guy. Like mm-hmm. you know, last night you were like ripping my head off, <laughs> you know, on a yeah. typewriter. Right now all of a sudden you're like, hey, where are we getting coffee? So it's. It's a, it's a little bit different. And bringing people together, it, it, it does make a big difference. And one of the things that helps us out is the community service projects. You know, by showing people that Red and Blue can work together for the common good of the community is really a big deal.
0: Can you give me an example of one of those?
4: We just did uh, Nor- Nourish North Carolina. and Nourish I got my and Yep, mm-hmm. and I got my uh, travel lacrosse organization involved and, and did um, – and the Brave Angels were involved, and we kind of partnered and, and had donations. And then we had a bunch of us go together to the park and fill up bags. And,
3: and we have one coming up. Um, it is for the Cape Fear Buds. They support individuals and, and their families who have Down syndrome. And so it's a walk on October 14th that we'll have a Brave Rangels team walking together.
0: One thing I want to ask about, and this is why someone like me as a journalist might be skeptical of this, is because there's been a move in politics over the last couple of years to sort of center policy debates around kids. It sort of turns up the temperature because what would you be more protective of than your own child? And you can see this on both sides. I've talked to plenty of conservatives who are you know, proponents of parental rights bills like here in North Carolina because they are concerned that, for example, their child might be exposed to pornographic material. They want to protect their kid from that. At the same time, you've got parents of queer or trans kids who feel like some of these policies are could be directly linked to, you know, their kid hurting themselves or taking their own lives in the worst case scenario. And that really takes up the temperature. People get incredibly passionate about that stuff. I have sat down with many people on both sides of those arguments. How do you get people who are maybe concerned about the, the most important thing in their life to to turn down that temperature?
4: I I think that we've seen what hate does, right? I mean, you've you seen that hate breeds hate. Um, I don't know when the last time we saw what the opposite does, and I, I think that's a time right now is is that time to to start doing something like that. Um, it's it's kind of important, I think, for for us to to realize and include everybody. That's why we you know for us it's everybody's included.
3: And I, I think you're right that. The culture wars have gotten very good at pushing particular buttons, and there's nothing more important to anyone than their children. And what we have discussed as a group is that the algorithms work, right? And the algorithms are driven by what makes us feel angry or you know, frustrated. Um, it brings on negative feelings, and for some reason, human nature makes us go down those rabbit holes and anything having to do with something that could harm our children pushes those buttons even more. What I will say is, and we, and this is a great topic that you're bringing up, Ben, because we should do that topic as a local group. We haven't touched on that. In some of our discussions, we've done other things like immigration, um, DEI, so we, gun control. We've covered a lot of topics, but that's not one that we've done. But I think we would see the same result, that you would see people come together, give each other an opportunity to speak, realize that we have a lot in common that we're all concerned about our children and that we're willing to put ourselves in other parents shoes and think about well what if that was my child how would I feel about it um, and and I think there would be consensus you know
0: I, I do think taking away the trying to win motivation mm-hmm. I think that's crucial you're, one of your rules is that you're you know you're there to learn you not there to convince anyone
3: right exactly no one is there to change anyone else's mind but we find in the end every time that we change the way we see each other.
0: So that's what I want to ask about is I can imagine both conservatives and you know little more liberal progressive friends of mine going into one of these meetings and, and maybe, you know, in a more intimate space with a moderator and not everyone looking over their shoulder on Facebook, maybe conceding some points that they wouldn't publicly because, mm-hmm. because they are having that moment of conversation, of empathy, of, of seeing someone else's perspective. How do you then pivot from that? kind of special space to the real world, if you will, like to your everyday life? How, mm-hmm. do you, how do you encourage people to take that moment with them out on the street?
3: Well, the use of the word concede made me realize that I think when people are in these discussions, they actually don't feel like they're making a concession. They, they feel like they're having sort of an epiphany. And it feels good. And so um, I think that changes when they leave the room, it changes how they're going to approach all people who have different political views than they do in every conversation. Um, Here, what we're doing in our alliance that is different than maybe on the national scale is that we want to have continued relationships, not just one workshop and you're done and hope that it lasts. That's why we're doing community service projects together. That's why we're having social events. We had a group go to fermental one night and have a beer together. Um we're creating relationships. We're seeing friendships form now in the last few months between people who probably would never have dreamed of sitting down across from a table from each other with a cup of coffee and have a political conversation. And it's really remarkable.
4: I would I would agree. I think it's like a mindset more than than conceding. You know, it's it's we used to tell kids, you know, before games or something like that, like, oh I'm nervous. I'd be you know, change your mindset. You're not nervous, you're excited. Because nervous makes you feel like you're going to choke or you're going to, you know, you're going to struggle through it. Um, and being excited, you're excited to play. That's all it is. You're just excited. It's a, it's a different mindset when you go into the game. And I think that's the way it is with this. That's you know, a great I think analogy. A different mindset.
0: So before we get into how people can find out more or get involved if they want, is there anything else you want to say about what you guys are doing here in Wilmington?
3: You did ask about what kind of events we have coming up, yeah, and one yeah. of them is it's called Trustworthy Elections. It's a common ground workshop, meaning it's a discussion workshop, and it's on September 23rd. It's open to the public, and it is a deep-dive discussion about um, having equal numbers of conservatives and liberals in the room. What points can we agree on? That would help all Americans feel comfortable with the way voting is done and elections are run in this country. And at the end of the workshop, people come together. They have a list of points that they unanimously agree upon. And it's being done across the country right now. And Braver Angels at the national level is going to bring the consensus list to the government and say, here's a voice from the public what we want from you is not anger and division and fear. We want solutions and we want our politicians to be working for the public and not being performers. Um, I do have to share one thing that, I, I went to the National Bravery Angels convention. It was in Gettysburg the week of July 4th and it brought together over 750 people, half conservative, half liberal, to have discussions like we're describing One of the speakers was Spencer Cox, who's a Republican governor in Utah, and he is a Braver Angel. He just stepped into the chairmanship for the National Governors Association, and he is going to bring Braver Angels methods to the governors, to all the governors. He's calling it a healthy conflict initiative and asking for people to disagree better. Um, So, with all of that in mind, I would encourage anyone who has interest in elections, the election process, um, and in government in general, to join us on the twenty-third, uh, you can sign up online or through um, it, just contacting. We'll have us we'll by have links email. for how yeah, to do that on our,
0: on the page for this. I understand people's passion about that. Yes, I've also seen a fair amount of nonsense of claims shared without evidence, and a lot of people. This is the last thing I, I want to touch on is a lot of people who are bad faith um, questioners. They're saying like, "Oh, I'm just asking questions about this." But they're often asking questions about things they already know the answers to or asking questions about things where the answers are, are publicly available or asking questions in a way that lets them carry the water for conspiracy theorists that, again, are stories with no evidence. And mm-hmm. I think the way you've described it, the rules of, of Ray Rangels seems to, to be set up to screen that out.
3: Yes. The, having moderators there for, for this workshop on the 23rd, we'll have two moderators coming down from Raleigh who have been trained to – Um, be able to gently guide people if they go astray, either intentionally or unintentionally. So if someone seems to be asking a question in a way that's rhetorical and just sort of trying to make their political point, they're called out on it um, in a very nice way. They're just said, you know, we we agreed to this way of communication today for this workshop, so we're just going to stay on track. Do you have a question of curiosity? And you want to hear that answer from the person on the other side.
0: Fantastic. Well, I, I want to give you an opportunity before we leave to talk about a couple of these other um, ways that people can get involved. I know you mentioned the upcoming event on the 23rd, but there's a few others.
3: So um, we are having a, our website will be launched by the end of the month. Unfortunately, I cannot give you I can't send people to the website yet, but we'll be happy to provide it later. Um, You can contact us through email, wilmington-nc at braverangels.org. We'll get you into our general mailbox. Certainly, I'm happy to hear from anybody with any questions or comments. And we welcome everybody. Uh, All of the workshops are free. The leadership at every level in Braver Angels, national to local, is equally conservative and liberal. So everyone should feel comfortable in the space. Um, Please reach out. I'm happy to talk with you.
4: Yeah, and i'd I'd like to just add that the one thing that we have seen the coolest thing for me is seeing these stories of people that have come in and aren't talking to family members anymore, like a, you know, Thanksgiving, coworkers, lost friends. you know people in the community won't talk to them. And then they come in here and they ended up reaching out to those people um and having another conversation and regaining that you know that the family member or the the friend or the coworker and and it's it seems that's to me is the is the best part about all of this. Um, because we, I think everybody that we, has come into one of these meetings comes there for that reason. Like, I've lost a lot of people in my life. And then, you know, I want them back. I miss them or whatever. And then they figure out a way to communicate a little better. And, and it ends up working out for them. So it's, it's, that, for me, is awesome.
0: Well, Nancy Cunningham, Eddie Jones, thank you guys so much for being here.
3: Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having us.
0: All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of The Newsroom. Thanks to my colleague Kelly Kenoyer and our guests, Wilmington Mayor Pro Tem Margaret Haynes and Nancy Cunningham and Eddie Jones from Braver Angels. Thanks also to our WHQR technical team, Ken Campbell. If you missed any part of this program, you can find it at whqr.org. You can also find it as a podcast pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. If you have thoughts or comments about today's program or ideas for a future show, email us at newsroom at whqr.org. And just a quick note, it is WHQR's fall pledge drive, so if you enjoy programming like The Newsroom and the rest of the reporting that the news team here at WHQR brings you every day, consider making a pledge of support at whqr.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next edition of The Newsroom.